0: Hi, good morning, everyone. Happy uh, February 5th to you, the first uh, Sunday of February. It's crazy that we're already at this point already for 2023. Thank you for being here, and thank you to everyone who is tuning in on Facebook and YouTube this morning. It's an honor to have you with us as well. So this very first song is taken from Psalm 100. Enter in through his gates, enter in his courts with praise. Let's stand together and let's do that right now. Here we go. Let's sing, church. Enter in, through the gate.
1: Enter in, here with praise. Come before. And His love endures, His love endures forevermore. His faithfulness, it has no end. For the Lord is good, and His love endures.
0: It's a win. It's, it's a win
1: to his core. It's a with grateful it's heart. Come.
0: More you are. Lord, you're the reason. And when my time... When my time on earth is through, when my final breath has
2: left
1: my lungs, I'll forever be with song goes on and on. I will lift my hands up, I will raise my voice high, I will shout of Your love till the day that I die. Everything that I have, all my worship I hybrid You're the reason I live. You're the reason. You're the reason
0: I sing. Yes, I will lift
1: my hands up. I will raise my voice high. I will shout of your love. Till the day that I die. Everything that I have. All my worship I hybrid, You're the reason I live. You're the reason I sing. You're the reason I live. You're the reason I.
3: Amen. Woo.
4: Well, it is so good seeing each one of you here today, and I have super good news to tell you. Today, God really loves you. And did you know the number one need we have is to be loved? And that love that we're looking for, what we really need is the love of God. And he loves you so much. And because of that, we're not alone. And I think all of us have had seasons of loneliness in our life. And I just want to say to the person today that maybe feels they are alone, I want you to know you're not alone. That God loves you He sees you He has a plan for you And because of that That's good news Whatever you're facing today God really loves you So we're introducing a new song today It's called God Really Loves You And I pray That you will just You will sing this from your soul You will listen to the words Because God really does love you And you're not alone. And we're glad you're here. So let's sing this together.
0: I've got a friend.
1: Closer than a brother. There is no judgment. Oh, how he loved me. I've got a friend. He is my strength, he is my portion, with me in the valley, with me in the fire,
3: with me
1: in the storm, that all my life,
0: His mercy is enough, His grace is sufficient,
1: so come if you're needing forgiveness or healing. His mercy is enough, oh, when this is our hope lost it has spoken. Death is no more. Christ, Christ is the Lord. Lord. This is our home.
0: We sing hallelujah.
1: Hallelujah. We are not. Father. What a Father. What a friend. What a Savior
0: He is. What a Father. What a friend. What a Savior He is. Once
1: again, what a Father. What a Father. What a friend. What a Savior He is.
0: One more time, church.
1: What a father. Oh, what a father. What a friend. Oh,
0: what a friend. What a savior
1: he is. Hallelujah. We are now. save your what, oh, what a Father! What a Friend! What a Savior
0: He is. Just you and the drums now.
1: What a. What a friend! What a Savior! What a Savior He is! Oh, what a Father! What a Father! Oh, what, a what a friend! Oh, what a Savior! What a Savior He is! Hallelujah! We are now.
2: Good morning, church. Um, Aren't you glad you're here this morning? Woo! That was amazing. Thank you, worship team. Um, One of the values of Solano Valley Church is revival prayer. It's what we believe in, and it's what we do on an ongoing basis. An important part of our prayer life is devoting ourselves to united prayer for the advancement of the gospel in our lives, in our church, in our community, and in our world. A couple of weeks ago, Gary led us through 2nd Chronicles 20, where in that time in history, a vast army was coming to wage war against Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. They weren't just coming, but they were on their way. I can't imagine the fear and the anxiety that gripped the king. In 2nd Chronicles chapter 20, we see Jehoshaphat's response To this ensuing battle. It says, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. He gathered the people and prayed. And this was his prayer Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdom of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague of famine, we will stand in your presence before the temple that bears your name and we will cry out to you in our distress distress, excuse me, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir whose territory you would not allow the Israelites to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and they didn't destroy them. See how they are repaying us. By coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What I want to focus on um, is the posture of Jehoshaphat took for himself and for his kingdom. The posture of position of prayer. What we see is, first of all, that they were alarmed, and rightly so. There was uh, a vast army coming against them. They resolved to inquire of the Lord. was it any question. They were going to go to the Lord. He proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. They are like, pushing everything aside to focus on God. They came together to seek the Lord. They gathered and they prayed. They recognized God's power. Their hand their excuse me, their prayers started with recognizing who God is, His power and might and all of that was in His hands. And they had confidence in their God. They knew that they could cry out to him and God would hear them and save them. They were real with their fear and request. in the midst of the fear, they turned their eyes on God. In this, we see the spiritual discipline of intercession where they're they're crying out for their people and the spiritual discipline of fasting, the principle of going without food to seek God and God alone. As we read the rest of the scripture, we see God responded and he asked them to do something very unusual. He asked them not to fight, just take their position and watch because the battle was his. The people's response is they fell in worship. And the story goes on and we see how God delivered his people because they inquired of him. They sought him. They gathered and they prayed. They recognized God's power. And they worshiped. And they did what was asked of them. This is what we do in revival prayer. I'd like to invite you back here this evening at 630 where we're going to gather as a body of believers For revival prayer No matter what trial We are facing Or our world is facing This needs to be our posture In this world We will have trouble But take heart Jesus has overcome the world If we are not in trial At this second We know someone who is Remember he is our strength He is our portion He is with us in the valley. He is with us in the fire. We are not alone. God really loves us. And it is to him we will resolve to seek and to pray. Would you bow your heads and pray with me, please? Dear God, we come before you today humbly needing of your grace, praying for the power of your Holy Spirit to fill us. We ask for your forgiveness in all ways where we've wandered so far from your presence. We need your healing and your grace, and we are gathered together to seek you. We pray that by your spirit living and breathing through us, we would be light and love in a world that so desperately needs your hope. Lord, we ask that you would draw many to know you as Savior, Lord. Shine your light. Push back the forces of darkness that surround. And by your great power, Lord, open blind eyes and release those who are still imprisoned. We pray that you would unify your people for your great glory and that all believers would stand together in your power and peace. Shine on us, Lord. Restore our lives and help us to be wise to redeem the time. Thank you that you will never waste our pain and suffering in this life but that you alone are able to turn it around for good thank you that nothing is impossible with you the same power that set ambushers ambushers against themselves Lord and the same power that broke prison chains and raised the dead and healed the sick and parted the sea Lord that amazing power is still at work today thank you that you are always with us helping us that you haven't lost control even when things feel uncertain around us all your plans and purposes will prevail for you alone are mighty we believe and we trust in the in extraordinary miracles in our lives in our land and in our world and we pray this in jesus name amen
0: Folks, let's take a thank you, Carolyn, very, very much for that. Uh, before we uh, <clears throat> continue with our worship, we have one more song we want to do with you. But I'd like to ask you to take a few moments to greet the folks around you, and we'll continue in just a minute. Thank you so much. right, folks, let's make our way back to our seats. Well, I have really been enjoying our series on the purpose driven life. And today we're going to talk about how we were shaped for serving. And this song right here is that's exactly what it's about. You know, the gospel of mark it says that jesus came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and i hope and pray that you and i will follow his example and we'll say lord i will go send me lord how do you want to use me to serve and love people that's what this song is about so it's been a long time since we've done it it just felt like an appropriate time to bring it back Goes like this. Two, three, two, to the desperate eyes and reaching
1: hands, to, to the suffering, suffering and the needy, to the ones the world has cast aside. Where you want me, I will, I will be. be. I will go. I will go, I will
2: go, I will go, Lord,
1: send me to the world, to the lost, to the poor and hungry. Take everything I am and play within your hands. I will go, I will go, send me. Not be blind with privilege. Give me eyes to see the pain. Let the blessing you pour out on me now be spent on me in vain. This life. Let this life. I will go. I will go. I will go. I will go. Lord, send me to the world, to the lost, to the poor and hungry. Take everything I am and play within your hands. I will go. I will go. Send me. I
0: want to live for you.
5: I want
1: to live for you, go where you need me, I want to follow you. I want to live for you, I want to live for you, go where you need me, I want to follow you.
0: Lord, I want to live. I want to oh, live, yeah. oh, go live for you. Go where
1: you need me. I want to follow
0: you. I want to follow you now. I want to live for you. Go where you
1: need me. I want to follow you. Oh, I will go. I will go. I will go, I will go, Lord. Send me to the world, to the lost, to the poor and hungry. Take everything I am. I'm playing within Your hands. I will go, I will go, send me. Let's do that chorus again. I will go. I will go, I will go, I will go, Lord. Send me to the world, to to the lost, to the poor and hungry. Take everything I am, I'm clay within your hands. I will go, I will go, send me.
0: I will. I will go, I will go, send me. Once again, I will. I will go.
1: I will
0: go and be Let's pray, church. Lord, we do want to live for you. We do want to go where you lead us. And we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our community and to this world. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to live not to be served, but to serve and to give our lives for others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a seat, everyone. Thank you.
1: Good
5: morning, everybody. So, am I on there? Yeah, I'm on. Okay. Hey, good to see you guys. Uh, So, hey, real real quickly, I apologize for the mess as you walked in the door. It actually is going to fit into our message, though. Uh, quite well, I think. I think. I don't know. We'll see if I can make a connection. Uh, but, yeah, apologize for the mess, and hopefully we'll get it all paved this week, and, and we'll have a nicer sidewalk out front. Uh, we have been doing a series called 40 Days of Purpose, and we've been talking about what God's purpose is for our life. And so, so far what we've talked about is we've talked about that um, we were talking about five different purposes. And the first purpose that God has for you and me is to worship. And worship is how we show our love for God, okay? Uh, Our second purpose is to fellowship, and fellowship is how we show our love for one another. Last week we talked about God's purpose force of discipleship. And discipleship is about following Jesus, it's about becoming more like Jesus in the way we think, it's about becoming more like Jesus in our, our, our affections, our attitudes, and in our pursuits. And so we talked about that. And this week, we're going to talk about God's purpose for you, for me, which is ministry. And I know some people think, no, 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 ministry, that's what the minister does. And you're right, it is what the minister does. But guess what? You're the minister. Did you know that? Yeah, that's, that's the way the Bible, uh, the Bible says that we are all ministers, okay? That we are all to be servants, Of Christ that we are supposed to, all of us are supposed to serve. And so today we're going to be looking at John chapter 13. If you have your Bible, I'd like to uh, encourage you to open it up to John chapter 13. I'm going to be reading for you uh, verses 1 through 17. Uh, Before I read the text, though, I want to give you just a little bit of background, if I can. I want to give you a little bit of background here. Uh, In the ancient world, uh, they did not have... uh, oftentimes in most places, did not have paved roads like what we have. They did not have paved uh, paved sidewalks like, well, I was going to say like we have, but obviously we don't have one right now, okay? Uh, But they didn't have paved sidewalks. They didn't have paved roads. And when you walked, you walked uh, in open-toe sandals. What that meant is that wherever you went, you arrived with dirty feet, okay? Didn't matter if you bathed earlier. When you got to where you were going, You got there with dirty feet. Can you say dirty feet? feet. Okay, dirty feet, all right. That's important to understand, yeah. That's you, Elias, you're right. So they arrived with dirty feet, and so what they would do is, if you were being hosted for a dinner in a household... Uh, often you would be greeted. Sometimes you would be, uh, water would be provided for you to wash your feet. This would have been common in most homes. Or, like if I invited you to my home and I were very wealthy, I might have, in Jewish culture, I might have a Gentile, a non-Jew uh, servant who washed your feet for you. Now, I couldn't require a Jewish servant to wash your feet, but I could require that of a Gentile servant. And so in a wealthy home, you might be greeted with that. Um, In John chapter 13, we have this very interesting story. And I don't know exactly what it looked like, but it could have looked something like this. It could have looked something like this. The guys walk up. They've all got dirty feet. The, the, The guys, you know, the guys, the Bible talks a lot about the guys in the Gospels, you know, the guys, the disciples. All right. In English vernacular, they were the guys, all right? So they were the guys. They were the disciples of Jesus. And they show up to this mill, and they show up with what? Dirty feet. feet. All right, you've already got it down. They show up with dirty feet. And so I kind of see it something maybe like this. James looks at John, and he's thinking to himself, wow, someone should really wash John's feet. But John looks at Thomas, and he thinks, wow, somebody should really wash Thomas's feet. Peter looks at his feet and he says, wow, somebody should really wash my feet. But nobody really makes a move to wash anybody else's feet. And before I read this text, I want you to understand, Luke chapter 22 gives us a slightly different view and perspective on the meal that Jesus had with his disciples, the last meal. Because in John chapter 22, we read this. In John chapter 22, I'll just look at real quick. But in John chapter 22, we read this. It, it says this. It says that a dispute also arose among the disciples as to which of them was considered the greatest. They're getting ready to have dinner with Jesus, and they're disputing among themselves who is the greatest. Now, my feeling is if Jesus is having dinner with you, you might think, okay, I think Jesus is the greatest Uh, But they're having this dispute about who is the greatest. And then John 13 gives us... uh, John, the apostle, gives us a slightly different perspective. John wrote as an eyewitness of this event. And this is what John says. He says, it was just before the Passover... Hang on a second. It was just before uh, the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him. Now, when you read through the Gospel of John... One of the things you'll read over and over again is you'll read Jesus saying things like, My hour has not yet come. You remember this, that Jesus was at a wedding. His mother asked, they had run out of wine, and his mother asked, Hey, Jesus, can you do something about this? And Jesus says, My hour has not yet come. Later, it says that that there were some people who were going to kill Jesus. But it says, His hour had not yet come. And then later, it says something very similar. And again, it says, His hour had not yet come. But here, it says, it was just before the Passover. Jesus knew. Jesus wasn't surprised by anything. Jesus knew. He was fully aware of everything that was happening in this moment. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And this is this. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You see those words? Having loved his own who were in the world, he had loved his disciples. He loved them to the end. One of the things that John likes to do is he likes to use words in almost an ambiguous way where you could weed it or understand it one way or you could weed it and understand it another way. And John kind of does this here where, you know, it says that Jesus loved them to the end, which could mean he loved them to the end of his life or it could mean that he loved them to the uttermost. And I think what John is saying is he loved them to the uttermost, to the end of his life, to his last breath. He loved them. To the uttermost. In verse 2, it goes on to say, The evening meal was in progress. Key word, progress. By the way, whenever you're reading through the Scriptures, you should always pay attention to key words, key phrases, key ideas. You should always pay attention to what you see in the text. The evening meal was in progress. Now, for you, for me, we read that, and we kind of blow past it. We don't really... Think about this because we come from a different culture. When I come to your house, you don't normally, you know, I don't know, have your next door neighbor wash my feet for you, okay? If you come to my house, I don't know, I, I probably won't wash your feet, okay? Uh, but that would be really awkward, all right? Uh, but 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 um, in the ancient world, you did not you did not wash your feet after the meal was in progress. You washed your feet, people. Your feet were washed when you entered the home. says, so the evening meal was in progress. My guess is the disciples were having this little debate about who among them was the greatest. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon the Spirit, to betray Jesus. By the way, the church at this time was about 12 people, all right? And in this small gathering, the small church of 12 people, The devil was already at work. He was already at work. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew all these things. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing. Basically, it means that he was like a loincloth. He was clothed the way a servant or a slave would be clothed. He took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet. One by one by one by one. He began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. No doubt here, the disciples are cringing at this. A disciple, uh, 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 the teacher of a disciple would never wash the feet of his disciple. It just wasn't done. A father, uh, a husband would not wash the, the feet of his wife. A wife might wash the feet of her husband, but a husband would not wash the feet of his wife. Parents, children might wash the, the feet of their parents, but parents would not wash the feet of their children. You see, whoever does the washing is the inferior. And whoever's feet are washed is the superior this was the ancient world this is the modern world it's the world of mankind the inferior always serves the superior Jesus is washing their feet each of the disciples I have no doubt cringing a little bit at this but each time he washes the feet he gets a little closer to Peter you remember Peter you know that guy Peter's sometimes kind of outspoken when he should actually not say anything at all. This is why I relate to him so much. And Rudy said, Amen. <laughs> uh maybe it's why I shouldn't be a pastor, a preacher, okay? So he he, he comes to Simon Peter, who and in he came to Simon Peter, and the Bible says, Who said to him, Lord, you're gonna wash my feet? This is not really a question. This is more an exclamation. Okay? Lord, you are going to wash my feet? And the Bible says, Jesus replied, you do not realize. You don't really understand. You don't really grasp what I'm doing. But later, you will understand. You will know fully. This is going to make sense for you later, Peter. Not right now. Peter said, no. No. You'll never wash my feet. No way. It's not going to happen. Jesus said, He says this, verse uh, 8, last part of verse 8. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You have no part with me. We're going two separate directions. Okay? You have no part. You have no measure. You have no share. Nothing. Then Simon Peter, in typical Peter fashion, replied, not just my feet, but my, my hands, my hands, and my head uh, also as well. And Jesus answered, he says, those who've had a bath, remember the ancient world, you've bathed before you've gone to the home for the meal? Those who have bathed, those who have had a bath, need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And then he says this, and in in. In English, this doesn't come through quite as well as it does if you're actually reading a Greek text. He says this. He says, you are clean. And the word you here is, uh, in in the South, they say it this way. Y'all. Okay? This is the proper translation of this verse. Y'all. This is not you. This is y'all. You all. Okay? Y'all are clean, though not every one of you, or each one of you. For Jesus knew... Who was going to betray him? Jesus already knew who the traitor would be. By the way, Jesus washed the feet of Judas. Did you know that? He washed the feet of Judas. He knew who was going to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. When Jesus finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, he returned to his place, and they asked the guys a question. He says, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you guys understand this? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Well, let me pray us, and we're going to launch into this text and look at it in a little more detail here. God, you are great, you are awesome, and your word is true. Lord, we pray... Do you would help us to humbly receive the word implanted that's able to save our souls. I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to discern and understand the teaching of your word and apply it to our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name for your glory. Amen. Um, there are five key observations I want you to see here. When I'm going through and I'm studying a text like this, I mean, honestly, I don't know how many observations I listed out when I was studying the text. But it's not uncommon for me to list 30, 40, 50 or more, okay? Uh, I, I listed a little over page of observations, okay? Now, not every observation is as important and significant as other observations. But what you do when you come to the text of Scripture, you want to observe what's in front of you before you begin to try to interpret the Scripture. See, so you, you have to understand what are the key observations because keys unlock meaning. And that's how you interpret Scripture. You have to know what are the key observations. And I believe there's, there's at least five key observations in the text that I just want to speak to briefly. And then we're going to talk about how to apply this. What does this look like in our lives? What's the significance of this? And so, five key observations. First observation is this. Is Jesus saw all things clearly? That's right. Jesus saw all things clearly. Jesus was fully aware of everything that was going on around him. In in verse 1, it says that Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Uh, It it goes on to say that that Jesus knew, verse 3, that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. All things had been placed under his authority. He knew that he had come from God. He knew that he was returning to God. He knew who was going to betray him. See, Jesus saw all things clearly. Now, why is that so important? Because when we see this and know this and understand this from the perspective of Jesus, it puts a whole lot more weight on the implications of this text for our lives. That the first thing I want you to see is that, that Jesus saw all things clearly. Secondly, Seeing all things clearly, he loved his disciples dearly. Wait a second. When I said that that Jesus saw all things clearly, as you read through the text of Scripture, you see that Jesus not only knew who was going to betray him, he also knew who was going to abandon him. See, he knew which of the twelve would betray him. But he also knew that every other one was going to abandon him. He also knew who was going to deny him, Peter. Jesus knew all these things, and then you know what he did? He loved his own. He knew all these things. He knew they were going to disappoint him. He knew all these things, and he loved his own who were in the world. And he loved them to the end. See, Jesus knew all of this. He, Jesus knew. Jesus knew when I said, Lord Jesus, I want you to take control of my life. I want you to make me the kind of person you want me to be. Jesus knew when I prayed that prayer, he knew that I would one day disappoint him. By the way, I've disappointed him more than one time, okay? See, Jesus knows everything about you. He knew everything that his disciples were going to do, and yet he loved them to the end. He, he, Jesus saw all things clearly, but he also loved his disciples dearly. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the uttermost. He loved them to his very last breath. Number three, Jesus served his disciples humbly. Now, now remember, when, when Jesus washes the feet of his disciples... This is not something that, that. This is something that's way, way like this is like. Such a distortion of the contemporary value system and in in the way they live their lives. I mean, this is like I don't know. It'd be like, um, it'd be like I, it'd be like showing up at the home of Elon Musk, who owns. Tesla and all that kind of stuff. It'd be like showing up at Elon Musk's house and him taking the role of a servant and treating you. Him assuming the role of an inferior treating you like a superior. It'd be like showing up at the White House, the president tr- president of the United States, treating you like a superior while he takes the role of an inferior. Except what Jesus did was even greater and more significant. Because in John We see Jesus, he is the one, he is the word who was with God, who was with God in the beginning, who created all things. You can't say that about Elon Musk. Elon Musk has done a lot of, you know, kind of cool kind of things, you know. Presidents are pretty powerful. But Jesus had all power, all authority. And yet he assumes the role of a servant, that Jesus... He, he saw all things clearly. He loved his disciples dearly. He served his disciples humbly. Jesus cleansed his disciples spiritually. When Jesus comes to, and, and this is, I, I can get lost in this one, so I'm going to try not to get lost in it, okay? So forgive me, all right? I'm going to do this the best I can. Jesus comes to Peter. Peter's like, are you going to wash my feet? And, 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 and Jesus says, well, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but later you're going to understand. And, and Peter's like, no, you're never going to wash my feet. And then in verse 8, what, 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 what Jesus says to Peter is he says, if, you, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. See, every single one of us is lost without Jesus. Every single one of us is a sinner. We have sinned against God. We have sinned against God by things that we have have said, things that we have done, things that we have thought. But all of us, according to the Scriptures, all have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. You have, I have, we all have, we all do. And the only way we can have a right relationship with God is not, I, I can't earn my way to God by all my good works. The only way that I can have a right relationship with God is by Jesus forgiving me of all my sin. Jesus forgiving me of all my sin and then Jesus giving me all of His righteousness. Uh, That's called the doctrine of justification. Being made righteous by God through the sacrifice of Jesus. See, the only way that Peter could have a part with, with Jesus is if Peter was cleansed by Jesus. And the only way that you and I can have a part with Jesus, if we are cleansed by Jesus. And then Peter, you know, he makes this kind of, you know, um, well-intentioned uh, comment about um, where, where he says, oh, well, then don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head as well. In verse 10, Jesus says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. So, so real quick, and, and this is the part where it's easy to get lost, is that when, when God saves us, we experience what the Bible calls justification. We are made righteous before God uh, with God. It's actually a legal term. To be justified. It's, 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 it's a word that's in the Bible again and again and again. You may not be comfortable with me talking about it right now. You may not be comfortable understanding it. But it's a word you really need to get extremely comfortable with. Because it is your basis for having a relationship with God. This doesn't happen you don't have a relationship with God. This doesn't happen you spend all eternity separated from God. You have to be justified. You have to be made righteous with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But when the Bible talks about salvation, it talks about justification. And a lot of people, a lot of Christians in a lot of churches, including this church, all they think of when they think of being saved is, well, now I'm not going to go to hell. Now my sins have been forgiven. Well, no, there's more to it than that. Yes, your sins have been forgiven, but you've been given all the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the other aspect of salvation is this. It's called sanctification. We talked about it last week. We called it discipleship. But that word sanctify, it appears over and over again in the Scriptures. It's an important word. It means to be made holy. It, it, it's, sanctification is that process of becoming more like Jesus in our thinking, our affections, our attitudes, our pursuits. It's becoming more like Jesus. See, we are made right with God by being justified, by being saved, by being cleansed, forgiven. But the way that we are progressively made more and more like Jesus' sanctification is by daily coming to God for cleansing. Daily coming to God and being repentant. Daily repenting of sin and following Jesus. It's a lifelong process where God makes you more like Jesus. So when Jesus says to him, those who have had a bath, meaning those who have been justified, need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. This is kind of a veiled statement about what's going to be, um, going to be uh, spelled out more clearly throughout the rest of Scripture, throughout the rest of the New Testament. So what we see here is, first of all, Jesus saw all things clearly. He loved his disciples dearly. He served his disciples humbly. He cleansed his disciples spiritually. The fifth Key observation in this text, hugely important. Gave, uh, Jesus gave his disciples a model to follow. He gave his disciples a model to follow. That what, that what Jesus says here, um, he says here in verse 15, I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. What he means for this is that I have washed your feet, you also have should wash one another's feet. He says, You call me teacher and Lord, rightly so. That's who I am. This verse 13. Now that I, your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. That we are to follow the example of Jesus. So, let's talk real quickly about two takeaways and what it looks like in our daily lives. First takeaway is this. Jesus loved us, served us, saved us, so that we might serve others over self. Folks, you were not loved, you were not served and saved so you could sit in a chair on a Sunday morning and sing a few songs. That's not why God saved you. God God loved you. God served you, has saved you so that you will serve others over self. We were saved for a purpose. Can you say purpose? purpose? We're talking about 40 days of purpose, right? You see, the fourth God, fourth purpose for your life is this is to serve. To serve others over self. And Jesus has loved you. He has he has served you. He has saved you so that you might serve others over self. Second, second um, takeaway here. Um, washing the feet, of the feet of others is how we experience profound joy in following Jesus. In, in verse 17, Jesus says this. He says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. You know, Every once in a while, I've noticed in church culture, in many churches, sometimes even our own church, is that sometimes we look at someone as being spiritual because they know a lot about the Bible. They know a lot about the Bible. They can quote a lot of Bible verses. Therefore, they must be really mature. Do you know a person can know a lot of Bible verses and still be lost? Do you know that? Knowing a lot of Scripture, being able to go from Scripture to Scripture to Scripture, doesn't mean you're spiritually mature. It doesn't. Maturity looks like living Scripture, not simply knowing Scripture. One of our values, Carolyn talked about revival prayer, one of our values is is, is uh, Scripture lived. That we don't simply learn Scripture to know Scripture, we learn Scripture to live Scripture. See, that's what God is wanting. He's wanting us to live out what his word says, not simply to know and understand what his word says. Washing the feet of others is how you experience profound joy. It says here, now you know these things, you will be blessed. Can you say the word blessed? Anybody know the Greek word for this? No, that's the English, but thank you very much. Uh, The Greek word here is makarios. Now, makarios, it simply means this. Uh, Makarios was a Greek word used by the Greeks when speaking about their gods. See, the, the Greek gods, the pagan gods, were considered makarios. So why is Jesus using this word here? See, makarios, what it meant is it meant a kind of joy that exceeded the joy of humanity. See, humanity was not supposed to be able to experience makarios. It's a kind of joy... That exceeds human joy. It was a kind of joy that was thought to be a joy of the gods. And of course in the Bible we see there's only one true God. There's only one true God, the Lord God. And and we see that there's only one true God. And he's able to give us a kind of joy that exceeds uh, anything that's humanly possible. That's what it means to be blessed. And that kind of blessing and that's, that kind of profound joy is the result of what happens when we begin to wash the feet of other people. So what does foot washing look like in everyday life? All right. I got two examples for you here, okay? First of all, foot washing looks like washing feet. It looks like washing the feet of others. So recently, my daughter Kat, or my daughter Faith, has been washing the feet of the homeless. She's been working uh, doing a clinical with the Salvation Army uh, there in um, where's she at? Pasadena, uh, she, in Pasadena, and yeah, they do have homeless people in Pasadena, same as here, okay? Uh, and what she does is she washes the feet of the homeless. You know why they wash the feet of the homeless? Sometimes homeless people don't have uh, proper shoes and socks. And sometimes they they don't have good practices of hygiene. And one of the things you see among many who are homeless is they have infections in their feet. This is very, very common. And so what they do is they wash the feet of the homeless. That's just what Jesus does. See, Jesus doesn't just wash the feet of good church people. He washes the feet of people who are going to abandon him. People who are going to deny him. People who are going to betray him. He washes their feet. He he doesn't wash the feet of superiors because there is no one superior. He washes the feet of inferiors. He washes the feet of people who need their feet washed. So what does foot washing look like? Well, it looks, uh, it, it looks literally like faith washing the feet of the homeless. It also looks like my son Caleb. I'm sorry. I, I apologize. I'm talking about my kids this morning maybe too much. But it looks like my son Caleb. So at my son's wedding, his wife Jessica, when they were married... One of the things that Caleb did as a part of the ceremony is he washed the feet of Jessica. He washed. You know why Caleb washed her feet? It was intended to be a symbol of his dedication and commitment to serve her as his wife. Think about that. Jesus says to those of us who are married men. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and cleanse her by the washing of the word. Gentlemen, I put the notes on pink paper to remind you. Actually, it didn't. It happened by accident. But let's pretend like I I put it on pink paper intentionally to prepare you for Valentine's Day. Do something that washes the feet of your wives. Okay? Um, show them tenderness, show them kindness, show them love. So what does foot washing look like in everyday life? Let me give you six different things here, and then I'll pray, and we'll have the worship team come up. Um, first of all, uh, so real quickly, these are implications. Implications from the text. Number one, there is no place for consumerism in how we follow Jesus. See, your culture is discipling you. Did you know that? Every person here is a disciple. Not everybody here is a disciple of Jesus. Not everybody here is a disciple of Jesus. I wish we could say that all of us are, but that's not necessarily true. Sometimes we're a disciple of Jesus, but sometimes we're being shaped and discipled by our culture. More than we are by Jesus. Did you know that? Sometimes we are shaped more by our culture than we are by Jesus. We are discipled more by our culture than we are by Jesus. And when we are discipled and shaped by our culture, you know what happens? We become consumers. We become consumers. We become spiritual consumers of spiritual experiences of religious services. We come and we show up to be served. We come and we show up to be stirred. We come and we show up to be fed. And That's not the way church is supposed to be. That's not the way following Jesus is supposed to be. We're not supposed to be consumers shaped by our culture. We are supposed to be shaped like Jesus so that we become to serve others. To serve others over self. There's no place for consumerism in how we follow Jesus. Number two, washing the feet of others means adopting the role of servant in how we serve. It means adopting the role of servant. So what does this look like? I'll I'll, I'll just spell this out for you from the perspective of a pastor. A kind of... I have, I'm just going to tell you, I have a pet peeve. I have a pet peeve among pastors. I think most pastors are fantastic guys. I really do. I know a lot of them. I meet with them. They, they help me in so many different ways. I'm a better pastor because of the investment of other men in my life. Last week, I had lunch with Tim Swanson, who's the president of Venture Church Network here in, in NorCal, and a good friend of mine. And, and, man, I just got so many good things from my time with Tim. I really did. Just some really good stuff that was helpful for me and how to be a better pastor. And but, but one of the things I've watched with some pastors is they always are looking for a bigger stage. They're always looking for a bigger stage. Some pastors. Not most pastors, but some pastors. That they go from the small church to the medium-sized church. They go from the medium-sized church to a little bit larger church. They go from the larger church to a mega church. Then they get in trouble with some women and they're no longer in ministry. You know, um, I, I, I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was Warren Wiersbe who said that, that, that there's too much pursuit of celebrity in being a pastor instead of a pursuit of servanthood. And I'm, I'm probably not saying it as well as he did it, but it was something I read this last week, and I thought, wow, that's really profound. Uh, washing the feet of others means actually adopting the role of servant. Okay, really treating others as better than ourselves. That that that, um, that number three, washing the feet of others means having uh, the attitude or mindset of Christ. And I'll just refer to this really quickly. You can write this down. I think I actually wrote it in your notes. Philippians chapter two, verses five. Um, uh, through uh, verse 8 It says this it says, In your relationships with one another Have the same mindset of Christ Jesus Mindset In some translations It says attitude Is it, what, 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 what Paul says here When he's writing to the church in Philippi The word of God says In your relationships with one another Have the mindset of Christ Jesus Who being in very nature God He was divine Everything that God the Father was, Jesus was and is. Everything that God the Holy Spirit was, Jesus was and is. Fully God, divine nature. Who being in very um, nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Or something to cling to. Whether he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. That's what Jesus did. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, um, washing the feet of others means having the attitude mindset of Christ. Uh, number four, washing the feet of others doesn't begin by considering our gifts, our talents, our abilities, or passion for ministry. Now, one of the things as you're reading, if you're reading The Purpose Driven Life, you're going to hear Rick Warren talk about your shape meaning your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your passion, I think, and then your experiences. And and there's a lot of good stuff in this. But one of the things I've noticed with some people and how they focus on spiritual gifts, and this is part of the problem with the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was perhaps the most, um, I don't know what you'd call it, Uh, well, uh, carnal, worldly, fleshly, corrupt, Uh, immature church of all the churches interesting it's also the church that knew more about spiritual gifts than anybody else but most of what Paul says about gifts to them is a word of rebuke you use your gifts to edify yourselves your gifts were given to you to edify others when people get hung up on spiritual gifts I'm like you know how I found out what my spiritual gifts were I served that's what I did you know how people in the New Testament church found out what their spiritual gifts were? They didn't take a spiritual gift inventory. They served. When Jesus looked at the messy feet of his disciples, he didn't do a spiritual gift inventory and say, Oh, well, I don't have the gift of foot washing. I don't need to wash your feet. Okay? I do not have the spiritual gift of mercy. I'm just going to tell you, it's true. I wish that I was more merciful. But that doesn't excuse me for not showing mercy to people who need mercy. Um. You see, washing the feet of others doesn't begin by considering our gifts, our talents, abilities, passion for ministry. I think all these things are important. But more important is our mindset and our attitude. See, the starting point is the attitude of Jesus, not what is my spiritual gift. The starting point is the attitude of Jesus. What would Jesus do in the situation? Well, What did Jesus do when the disciples' feet were dirty? Did he say, oh, look, let's do a spiritual gift inventory and see if I can do this. It's not what he did. He got down on the the ground, stripped of everything but a loincloth, towel wrapped around his waist, and washed the feet of his disciples. It begins with serving. Okay, number five. Washing the feet of others begins with the need of the person and the need of the moment. See, it begins with the need of... Of the person in the need of the moment, and finally number six, washing the feet of other others is about people, not programs. Sometimes, you know, I, I'm talking we, not you. We leadership in a church, we get concerned about plugging all of these little slots of ministry. You know what? It's not about plugging slots in ministry. It's about serving people. Now, sure, you do have to fill a couple of slots of ministry. Last week, we had, uh, it was uh, Matt and Dan and Kayla and Joy and Jackie and Rich. Am I missing someone, Matt? Kathy, Kathy. Thanks, Kathy, for being there for the children's ministry meeting. They gathered together to talk about how we can relaunch our children's ministry. That's what they did. We're going to relaunch our children's ministry. It's because they have the attitude of Jesus. They have the attitude of Jesus. They're not seeking something for themselves. They're seeking something for children. Children who need encouragement. Children who need to be taught that Jesus loves them. Children who need to be taught to follow Jesus. That's what they're doing. See, it's, about, it's not first and foremost about a program. It's first and foremost about people. Programs are all well and good, okay? But washing the feet of others is about people. I, should say not, I shouldn't say not programs. I should say more than programs. Anyway, uh, I'm going to ask the worship, uh, worship team to come back up, and uh, let me pray for us, okay? God, you are great. You are awesome. You are good. Uh, we are so grateful, Lord Jesus, that you took the role of a servant that you took the role of a servant, that you have served us, that, um, that you humbled yourself, that you being equal with God in every way, you being in nature God in every way, that you took upon yourself the role of a servant. God, help us, help me to better have that mindset, to better have that attitude uh, of serving others over self. And help us to do this for the praise and the glory of your name. In Christ's name, amen.
3: Thanks, Gary. Um, I have just a few announcements before we launch into our next song. Uh, We have 40 Days of Purpose. It's still not too late to join a group. We do have sign-ups at the back if there's something that fits into your schedule and you're really interested and just want to connect with others. Please feel free to join. The groups are always open. There's always an empty chair. Um, they're great and edifying, so I just want to really encourage you to start that the new year off with, you know, a little bit more connection. Um, also, we again I want to uh, reiterate Carolyn's invitation. We just want you to join us here tonight at 6:30. Usually, only goes for an hour. We're respectful of your time, but we just want to continue to pray for revival within our church, our homes, community, and the world. And Everyone doesn't have to pray. We're there just to support each other and pray in our spirit as well as if you want to pray out loud. Um, It's not intimidating at all. Please come and join us for that. Um, So when you partner with us in prayer, we'd really appreciate that. And then right now we want to worship God with our giving. When we give, we're saying, God, we love you and want you to have first place in our lives. And as we partner with God in ministry and trust him for our provision, we experience his presence and faithfulness in ways that we didn't before. Um, And that experience of God's presence brings us the greatest blessing of all, the deep and lasting peace of knowing we can trust God with everything And then thank you so much for all of you who have been giving faithfully and give to the mission of our church, of making disciples. And there are several different ways that you can worship through your giving, and you can find them all on our website at solanovalley.org forward slash giving or on our app that you can get at the App Store.
0: Thank you, Elsa. Church, let's stand together. To the desperate eyes and,
1: and reaching hand, to the suffering and, the suffering and the to the Once ones the world, the world has cast aside. aside Where you want me, I, I will be. be. I will go. I will go. I will go. I will go, Lord, send me to the world, to the lost, to the poor and hungry. Take everything I am, I'm praying within your hands. I will go, I will go, send me. Let me not, let if me not, not be blind with. Give me eyes to see the pain. Let the blessing you pour out on me not be spent on me in vain. Let this life be used for shame. I will go. I will go. I will go. I will go, Lord, send me To the world, to the lost To the poor and hungry Take everything I am I'm playing in your hands I will go, I will go to me
0: And I want to live for you I want to live
1: for you The way I wanna live for you. Go where you need me. I wanna follow you. Wanna live for you I wanna live for you. Go where you need me. I wanna follow you. Once again, I wanna live for you. Go where you I will go, I will go, I will go, Lord, send me to the world, to the lost, to the poor and hungry. Take everything I am, I'm glad within your hands. I will go, I will go, send me. Once again, I will go. I will go, I will go, I will go, Lord, send me. To the world, to the lost, to the poor and hungry. Take everything I am, I'm playing within your
0: hands. I will go, I will go, send me. I will. I will go, I will go, send me. Once again, I will. I will go, I will
1: go, send me.
0: his hands and feet this week. Thank you so much for being here today. Hope to see you back here tonight for Revival Prayer. Have a wonderful Sunday.